The Game of His Life by Jeff Dupuis. The outfield grass glows green in the afternoon sun as though it's spray painted that color. The white chalk of the baselines is so bright, so pure, it's easy to believe that it was sprinkled down from heaven. This is Sammy Sandoval's time. His whole life plays out here. The bleachers are full. The diamond is tucked in the corner of the park. Fans sit on the hillside that runs parallel to the first and third baselines. They lay on blankets. They have picnics. Uninterested lovers lay back and tan while their partners sit, elbows on knees, waiting for the game to begin. Beer cans hiss as dogs chase frisbees on the far side of the park. The tinkling song of an ice cream truck carries in the distance. The bullpen is a neon orange net that pops up like a tent and sits along the third base fence. Sammy loosens his wrist and shoulder. Dan Vincenti kneels into position, the same position he'll be in for half the game. Sammy works his stuff. His fastball makes a tight snapping sound as it hits Dan's mitt. Sammy feels ready. He knows it deep down. He stands at the nexus of his past, present, and future. Sammy scans the faces in the crowd. He smells the hot dogs grilling in the concession stand behind a center field fence. He hears the flags snap in the wind. He spots a little brown face, a little Mexican kid sandwiched between two smiling white parents, a lovely Christian couple that adopted him at a time before memory. The little kid is Sammy, a Sammy of 13 years earlier, watching his home team and dreaming of a career that launches in this park and catapults him all the way to the bigs. Dan whistles the way you whistle to your dog when he's lingering too long after fetching a stick. Sammy focuses and adjusts his grip. He has the ball hidden in his glove, keeping his chosen grip secret until the very last second. He feels the eyes of his family, of his younger self, watching him. He throws his circle change up. Dan pulls his mitt across his body, flicks his wrist, and picks the ball out of the air just in front of his left knee. On the mound, Sammy feels like a king. He retires the first batter in the Cardinals lineup, a tall, pale kid who walks back to the dugout dejected, his red jersey so bright that it looks orange. Sammy watches Dan's fingers as he flicks them out between his legs, signaling for the next pitch. Sammy throws a fastball and can hear the bat cut through the air. Bing! Quiffer! A fan cries out after the ball is safely tucked away in Dan's mitt. Attaboy! Another man calls from the bleachers. The man claps his thick, tanned hands together. The glare off his World Series ring is visible even from the pitcher's mound. He's wearing a white golf shirt, a gold cross just below his collarbone. His black hair is cut short and is thick and shiny. Next to him is a beautiful blonde woman, her hands wrapped around his biceps. When she claps, the thick arm is between her wrists and her hands don't make any sound. She was a fitness model and actress well into her 40s. Now she volunteers for a half-dozen charities in Sarasota where she and her husband have retired. Every year, they leave Florida and come back to her husband's hometown to watch the home opener of the semi-pro team that gave him his start. Sammy recognizes the man. Sure, he's older, heavier, but Sammy knows it's him. Sunglasses hide his eyes, but it's gotta be him. His wife cheers Sammy on, and he is touched by the kindness of her face. It softens the blow. Sammy knew that he and Monica wouldn't last. They'd been together since sophomore year, but she was moving east for college at the end of the summer, and Sammy was staying in state. 
They talked about how to make it work. She cried on the phone late into the night. He cried, too. They made promises to each other that they couldn't possibly keep. His grip loosens on the ball a split second too soon, and the ball flies wild and slow. The compact cardinal second baseman swings low and hits a grounder that skips past Sammy and rolls a few inches to the left of the first baseman's glove. Dan tosses Sammy another ball. He looks down at it, turns it over in his hand. Go get him, the man calls out. You can do it, the little boy sandwiched between his mom and dad yells. Sammy tightens the muscles in his jaw. He nods at Dan's call. He takes the rocker step and winds up. Bone chips in his elbow will derail Sammy's plans to go to the Collegiate World Series next year. Surgery and recovery time will put Sammy's dreams on hold. Monica will move on, staying out east to pursue her master's degree. They will stay friends, and she'll call him every Christmas. Sammy retires two more batters, stranding that runner on first. This movement of uniformed men will become frequent in Sammy's life. It'll feel like he's bowling, knocking pins down only to have them replaced in the next frame. There will be the things Sammy forgets on his way to the World Series, endless summers in the Midwest League, smokestacks scattering toxins over blue-collar towns, the girl he'll meet playing winter ball in the Dominican whose English is as broken as his Spanish. But he'll never forget snagging a line drive out of the air on the third inning of this home opener, a moment perfectly captured by the photographer from the local paper. It's a moment frozen as though in amber that Sammy relives while watching the game from the stands, his wife squeezing his arm gently. Hello there! Welcome to the baseball opening day edition of No Extra Words, the Flash Fiction Podcast. My name is Chris Baker Dersh. I'm your producer and editor. This is a literature show, and so you might be wondering why I wanted to do a baseball episode. And there's a lot of reasons. But what really comes to mind is I always tell people that baseball is played in poetry while other sports are played in prose. And you're going to hear a little bit of both today. There's poetry and prose coming. But this is a really literary game. If you ever wonder whether or not that's true, listen to a baseball fan talk about the grass. It even appears in Jeff Dupuis' story that we opened up with. When baseball fans describe their stadiums, they talk about beauty. I'm not here to start a war between sports, and if baseball's not your sport, that's great. But I don't often hear people talk about how beautiful the grass and the white lines are of a football field. It's just not a conversation that comes up. And so it's a very literary game, and it has a lot of literature to it. In fact, one of the reasons I felt confident launching this episode is that I thought if I just get crickets and nobody sends me a baseball story... I can always reach into the public domain. We can do Tinkers to Ever to Chance. We can do Casey at the Bat. We can do... There's so much baseball literature that you can just pull out of history. I shouldn't have worried because, folks, you have a jam-packed episode coming because people responded wonderfully to my call for submissions for baseball stories. But I do think it runs in families, and at least in my family, the coming of a new baseball season is an event... You know, it's commiserate with a high holy day in a religion. There's a great scene in a book. Um, there's a there's a baseball book that's really raunchy and actually kind of dumb that's called Squeeze Play about a um, 
female reporter covering a fictional Washington senator scene. It's actually hilarious, out of print. But at any rate, she's Jewish, this writer, and there's a scene where she describes watching listening to baseball on her earphones when she's sitting in high holy days in the synagogue with her grandmother and talking about how this religion of baseball and this religion of Judaism are things that she grew up surrounded by. And I think regardless of your religion and regardless of your family culture, real baseball fans can understand that, that it feels like, you know, something as deep in your family as your religion, your language or culture. So for my family, that's what the coming of a new baseball season means. And I'm watching it play out in a new generation because I now have a two-year-old who has started sleeping with his baseball. I'm not even kidding. Some kids sleep with security blankets. My kid curls his hand around his baseball at night. I don't know. He obviously gets it from me, but I don't know where this deep-seated passion for the baseball really comes. It must be genetic. It must be deep down inside him. So watching this coming of the baseball season with a kid who I just can't wait to stand on the sidelines in small little local teams and let him watch baseball being played, it's, it's exciting for us. And I'm also... Not to make light of this, but I'm also launching a new podcast project for the 2016 baseball season. Now, don't worry. No Extra Words is not changing. No Extra Words is not going anywhere. And No Extra Words is not becoming a baseball show. Once we're done with this little special episode, No Extra Words is going exactly back to what you expect it to be. And it's going to keep going. And I'm excited about that. But in addition, a friend of mine and I are launching, have launched, a baseball podcast. And... For those of you who do like the National Pastime, I hope you'll check us out. So you're going to hear more about that in later in the show. And so all of this is going on, and all of this inspired me to, this is the year, this is the moment to do a baseball opening day special. And clearly I was not alone, because like I said, you have just a jam-packed episode coming, and I need to not talk too much, because i got to get you to it. But I thought the game of his life was the perfect way to start, because it has this feeling of, you know... This game, this sport, this thing that's so important to him through every phase of his life captured in this one moment, this game. Jeff Dupuis, when he sent me this story, he's a previous contributor to the show, and he said it was experimental for him to kind of write in this format, in this style, and um, I think he nailed it. It's a wonderful story. And I love the way it evokes the feeling of a minor league ballpark. It's not the last time in this episode you're going to hear about a minor league ballpark, but... For me, just seeing the ballpark described, I was immediately six years old again and sitting in Cheney Stadium in Tacoma with my free ticket for Tacoma Auto Dealers Night, watching the people who didn't get their free tickets sitting on what we used to call and what I think they still call in Tacoma, Tightwad Hill. And so for those of us who have experience with this small local baseball, the game of his life really evokes that feeling. I wanted to do a poem. As I mentioned, baseball is played in poetry. And I was going to bring you something out of the public domain, but one of our other previous contributors stepped up and wrote a poem called Miners, which is coming next. You're also going to hear a recollection of a Cubs fan. You're just going to hear so much. So I'm going to get you to it. And I hope whether you're playing, rooting, coaching, some combination of the above, whether the team you're watching is down the street or in the nearest city, whether your team is in first or in last, um, whatever the 26th baseball season brings to you, I hope you root for the home team and have a fantastic summer. We'll see you soon on No Extra Words. Miners by Francis Di Clementi. Toledo in July, 
a mud hens game. Big league dreamers with names like Bubba, Fausto, and Tyler toil away in the minors, hustling for the scouts perched behind home plate, diving for line drives and sliding headfirst, with egos in check and mouths full of dirt. Pillars of artificial light frame the setting sun, and from beyond the azure sky, the ghosts of washed-up utility infielders and middle relief pitchers pull for these hard-luck AAA players. They want to scream so loud, take heed, savor it now, for this is the best you will ever be. But they're under orders to keep their mouths shut, and can only blow a home run foul every once in a while. The steel girder stands are filled with a crowd that still believes in this clockless game. They listen intently for the crack of the bat and sing with all their might during the seventh inning stretch. Little kids with hot pink shorts and noisy flip-flops smear their faces with mustard and hug Muddy the mascot. They scatter peanut shells and scamper after foul balls, and for them, the score is merely an afterthought. The summer night comes to a close, with a game-ending double play and a fireworks barrage. The fans file out and load into their cars, going back to real life, with memories of mud hens now stitched in the seams of their minds. Nineteen sixty nine, all over again, by Angela Lombarda. It's nineteen sixty nine, all over again, was Janet's best friend Amy's anguished cry that only a Cub fan could know. It was October twenty fifteen, and the Cubs had done it again. The ghosts of the Bartman Ball of two thousand three, and the collapses of nineteen eighty four and nineteen sixty nine, loomed heavily in Janet's memory. But Janet knew she would always be a Cub fan. It all started in the 1960s. All the kids in the neighborhood liked going to the prairie. That's what the large, undeveloped lot at the end of the dead-end block was called. The area was a weed-filled group of hills and valleys with a tiny swamp plunk in the middle. Janet, Amy, and their other friend Billy would catch small toads and keep them as pets. But the biggest catch of all was Billy's green frog. Cubs fever had swept the neighborhood and all the children were fans. And there was no other player in the world like Ernie Banks. So Billy named his beloved frog Ernie. But one summer day, Ernie jumped away, breaking Billy's heart, thought never to be seen again. The following spring, Billy's dad was digging up some frozen ground in the garden. There he found a slumbering Ernie, still alive and ready to be Billy's pride and joy again. It was fun making banners that said, Go Cubs, in preparation for that fateful day. Amy's mom drove all the kids in her gigantic Ford to Wrigley Field, where they waited in line to purchase tickets that cost less than $3. But even a player like Ernie Banks couldn't save the Cubs against the Mets pitching that year, and somehow their hopes for a series win fizzled like a dried-up leaf in the hot August sun. The full impact didn't affect the 10-year-old Janet and Amy as much as the fact that they couldn't keep using their banners anymore. Go Cubs was put in baseball mothballs. Joy swirled around the city of Chicago in 2003. The Cubs had captivated Janet and Amy again. All eyes were on Wrigley. The baseball world was the Cubs' oyster until the foul ball. A pall fell over the windy city. Disappointment lingered for Janet until 2015. 
The young sleeper of a team re-energized Janet and Amy's love for baseball once more with a great season. Go Cubs was reborn, and the hopes for a movie prophecy fulfilled. But the Mets pitching once again made sure that the elusive pennant dream jumped away from the longtime friends, just like Ernie the Frog did long ago. But Janet knew she would always be a Cub fan, because there was always spring and a chance to find Ernie again. Hi guys, Chris here again. Before I bring you your final story, and yes, there is one more story coming in this episode. Remember before when I told you about my new podcast project? Well, I love that we have a woman's voice in this episode in Angela Lombardo's story because my new podcast is all about women in baseball. And it's actually kind of funny because when I first read Angela's story, I was in the process of finishing edits on episode two of Add a Girl, the Women and Girls in Baseball podcast. And episode two is all about women's Red Sox fantasy camp in January. My co-host was there for that event and we cut together a really cool audio journey for the show. And there's a it was just clips and clips and clips of different audio from camp that I was putting together. And there's one that I had actually titled like, like we did in 67, which was the experience of Red Sox fans. Cause this is Red Sox fantasy camp in 1967. And um, then reading Angela Lombardo's story about it being like 1969. It, it was so, so the way baseball fans speak. So like I said, you have one more story coming, but before we do, I'd like to bring you this tiny sneak peek and preview of Attic Girl, the women and girls in baseball podcast now available in iTunes and your favorite podcast app. Nobody talks about all the good things that also happen and the good experiences they have. Well, he says, I want you to come back uh, east and play uh, professional baseball. I said, you're out of your mind. Oh, my God. Nolan Ryan, Sandy Colfax had nothing on me. And I've been all over the world, and I'm living proof that you don't actually need to get a job in professional baseball to have a career as an umpire. And it's time. It's our time. Tryouts by Eddie Snipes. When I smell the aroma of spring, I always think of the beginning of baseball season, Ted spoke out loud to no one in particular, his eyes sparkling with wonder at the field of Fenway Park. As a lifelong Red Sox fan, Ted had always wanted to visit this park, and now he was actually in this historic stadium. To the right stood the infamous Green Monster. At 304 feet, the right field wall was one of the shortest distances in Major League Baseball. Hitters were seduced by the short field, but the 37-foot behemoth robbed many great men of their glory. Ted's thoughts ran back to his childhood memories of baseball. As a freshman in high school, it was his dream to play baseball, but nature wasn't kind to him. He was short, skinny, and considered to be more of an egghead than an athlete. You don't have to be an athlete to be somebody, his mother explained when he decided he wanted to try out. 
Besides, at your size, you might get hurt. But I want to play. I can practice until spring and get better. Small kids play baseball and don't get hurt. I will show them. When spring comes, I will be in shape and ready. His equipment was as meager as his talent. All Ted had was a tennis ball, glove, bat, and a concrete wall. He spent his available hours catching the balls the wall returned to him and swinging at the softball lobs his little sister occasionally pitched for him to hit. As winter melted into spring, the time came for tryouts for the high school teams. Ted watched the boys warm up and play catch with their new gloves and slick uniforms. Who am I fooling? I can't compete with these guys. They look like baseball players, and I look like a water boy. The only thing that kept Ted on the field was a lingering doubt of what if. Maybe he wasn't baseball material, but if he didn't try, would he regret never knowing? A stern-sounding voice interrupted his internal argument. What's your name, son? inquired Coach Jackson. Ted McClure? What position are you? Ted shrugged as he searched in the gravel for confidence. Um, I don't know. I can play infield or outfield, I guess. You don't look very fast, so why don't we give you a shot at the infield? A shot? The words had an inspirational ring to them. If he had a shot, the field was level, and all he had to do was perform. Ted felt small in the space between first and second base, but it seemed like heaven to feel the warm sun and see the beauty of the diamond. He could almost envision the stands filled with cheering parents. The crack of the bat returned his focus. He rushed to close the gap as a sharp grounder whizzed to his right. He lunged and felt the ball in his glove, and then it was gone. I dropped the stupid ball. It was in my glove, and I missed it. A few swings later, a missile launched just to the right. He shuffled over, and it pounded off his cheek after taking a sudden hop. He felt the flames of its impact, but quickly threw it to first base. He swallowed the pain, but couldn't choke down his humiliation. Ted caught a few easy ones, but missed more than he fielded. I keep getting so close, but they just won't stay in my glove. Ted had two at-bats. His first hit popped up, and he rounded first base, hustling toward second, hoping the ball would somehow find the ground. His disappointment rang with the pop of a glove. On his second at-bat, he made good contact, and the ball smoked between the shortstop and the third baseman. Ted saw the shortstop make a lunging grab. It would take a perfect throw from his knee, so Ted turned on the afterburners. Just as his foot was about to hit the bag, his hopes burst with the loud clap of the first baseman's glove. If I could have just gotten one hit, maybe someone would notice. Ted walked off the field with as much dignity as he could muster. He tried to guard his face from hinting at his anguish. That's it. Everyone was right. I have no talent, and I'm not meant for baseball. At the end of tryouts, the coaches made their picks. Coach Johnson approached Ted. Son, you haven't played baseball before, have you? Ted pawed the dust with the toe of his worn sneakers. No, sir. The coach looked down at him, trying to make eye contact. One thing I have learned is that talent can't replace heart. I don't know how much talent you have, but if you will put all your heart in it, I believe you can go far. You may not be the best player, but your hustle shows character. Heart, and a lot of hard work, can take you a long way. Ted's thoughts of childhood were suddenly interrupted by a pat on the back and a voice from behind. Welcome to the Sox, rookie. Thanks. Standing on this field is a dream come true.
We hope you've enjoyed this special baseball edition of No Extra Words, the Flash Fiction Podcast. Subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app to hear all of our episodes, including a brand new one coming this week, officially launching our celebration of National Poetry Month. The version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game heard on today's show is by the Haydn Quartet. Our theme music, as always, is Aria Barata by Bach, played by Brandon Kinsella. Both of these pieces of music are in the public domain, and both are courtesy of the Free Music Archive. For complete show notes, including information about all of our stories and contributors, information about how to submit your own work, and also a link to Add a Girl, the Women and Girls in Baseball podcast, please visit us at noextrawords.wordpress.com. As always, the best support you can give the show is to recommend us to your family and friends. See you next time, and we'll definitely see you out on the baseball field. <laughs>